Good morning, Connect family. How are we doing this morning? Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Derek. If you're new to Connect, I want to welcome you here and hope you feel, uh, you know, the presence of God and a people that are welcoming to you. We're so glad that you could be with us this morning. Can you welcome with me our online viewers as well? Can we just give them a big hand? We want to welcome all our cable and web viewers. Hope you guys enjoy too. We're in a series uh, that we just started last week. This is part D. Uh, of that series, The ABCs of Financial Freedom. And so this is a, a series that I'm basing on a book that I read uh, that was really uh, just kind of fresh. I, I, I've been a, a student of biblical finance for quite a while, and uh, this was just a new and fresh look at it for me, and I highly recommend this book. Uh, last week, um, we, uh, we, we announced that the book would be available, and uh, we bought a bunch of books, and they all went out, and we gave them away, and they all went out in the first service, so we had no more left. We tried to get some more. Uh, we're going to be able to get some more. So if you are interested in this book, which I highly recommend, it's apparently a hot, like a hot potato, um, go down to Guest Central and then just sign up and they're going to mail you one right to your house, okay? So just want you to know about that. Last week, how many were here last week? Raise your hand if you're here last week. Good job. Good job. You came back again. Sometimes <laughs> pastors and churches talk about money and, and the next week it's empty. So apparently things went okay. Uh, we talked about attitude. A as for, is as an attitude and just kind of get an aerial, aerial view, uh, a 30,000-foot view on finance, getting a perspective on money, you know, changing, um, you know, our thinking, changing our attitude and changing our attitude towards money, our attitude towards God, and just getting kind of his, his vision for finance. It was, a, it was a really important message. If you didn't receive that Go to Guest Central as well, and we have CDs for you, or go online, or YouTube, it's there for you. Um, it, was, it was very, very good, and very helpful. The pastor that spoke was awesome. <laughs> uh, today is, uh, is B in the series. Uh, we're going to go through the whole alphabet. We should be done by 2018. I'm just kidding. Um, but B stands for bondage. Everybody say bondage. bondage. It's kind of a big word, uh, but it's referring to kind of financial bondage or financial uh, slavery and, and, and our culture is struggling today uh, in the money realm. We'll talk about that a little bit. I promise it'll end with good news and, and encouragement for you. But the Bible says, oh, by the way, I did, I'm sorry I don't have a formal outline in there. That is my fault. I take responsibility for that. I've been speaking a lot in the last couple of weeks and just I just couldn't kick it out for the production team in time. So uh, I hope that you guys will take copious notes. Anyway, this is one of those one of those messages you're going to want to take notes. First service was awesome. And so if you're competitive, let's see if you can beat them. Okay. So Proverbs 22.7 is your first key verse. And it says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave or could say servant to the lender. And so we, know, we don't want to be enslaved to lenders, creditors, other people. We want to be free. This is about financial freedom. And I think sometimes we don't know kind of how this whole thing works. And it's amazing to me, um, you know, how common it is to struggle with money. It reminds me of a, and we, and we need some things spelled out a little differently. It reminds me of a story of kind of an old country guy. And this is back when there wasn't like currency, paper money, coin, and things like that. Basically, it was trading and bartering for goods. And so he was bringing some of his goods to a certain person to trade. This particular occasion, the guy says, I'm going to write you a check. Countryman says, I don't know about no check. What are you talking about? What's this check thing? He says, oh, it's very cool. You take this check. You go to the bank in town. You give them the check. They're going to give you money for it. You can go buy whatever you want, not just this. He says, oh, my gosh, that's good. I'll take the check. He takes the check. He goes into town 
to get his money for the check, goes to the bank. The bank says, sure, we can give you money for that check. All you got to do is turn that check over, endorse the check, sign the back of that check, and I'll give you your money. He says, no, 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 I ain't, I ain't signed no check. Nobody told me about signing no check. I, all I know is I give you the check, you give me the money. The guy says, you got to sign the check. He says, I'm not signing no check. And he leaves the bank. He's mad. Goes across the street to another bank. There's three banks in town. He goes across the street to the other bank. Says the same to the guy. I said, I want to get money. Somebody told me if I give you this check, you're going to give me money. I gave my goods. Now I have this check. You got to give me money for these. He says, I'll give you the money for it. No problem. All you got to do is turn that check over, endorse that check, sign that check, and I'll give you your money. He says, I'm not signing no check. Nobody told me about signing no check. I'm not signing no check. Give me my money. He said, I can't give you your money unless you sign that check, sir. Yeah, I'm out of here. He leaves. Goes to the third bank. Goes in the third bank, he gives him a check. You guys getting tired of this story? He goes in the bank and he gives him that check. He says, somebody told me if I give you this check, you give me my money. He says, no problem, I'll give you money. All you got to do is turn that check. Sign that check, endorse that check, I'll give you your money. The guy says, I ain't signing no check, nothing. Nobody told me about that. No way, Jose. Well, that bank teller came out from around that, behind that counter, and he grabbed this countryman by his shirt, and he said, sign that check so I can give you your money. He turns that check over. He endorses that check. He signs that check. The bank teller gives him his money. He goes out with a smile on his face. Countryman's so happy. Goes behind the, the, the bank, and he's shouting and, che and just cheering. And then he goes out front, and he walks by the first bank. And he says, see, I got my money. I got my money. Then he goes to the second bank. See, I got my money. I got my money. Both those bank tellers came out and said, how'd you get your money? He said, I went to that bank over there, and uh, they gave me my money. I, he said, how'd you do that? He said, I just signed the back of that check. He said, we told you to sign the back of that check. He said, but you didn't explain it to me like that guy did. <laughs> Some of us need this whole thing explained a little differently. Some of us think we understand, but we don't understand. And there's some processes and, and there's some principles that we need to follow to get this whole money thing right. The number one stress or cause of stress really in society today is financial problems. It's affecting marriages, affects sex lives. That made several men sit up right away. Taking notes now, sir. Uh, it, causes, it causes worry, uh, sleeplessness, physical problems. A lot of people are, you know, struggling uh, physically because of these things. And regardless of what's going on, this is the big boy of a lot of the pain that we're facing in our lives. And again, if you're new, I'm not talking about money because I need some money. I'm not talking about money because the church needs some money. This, is born, this whole series is born out of prayer, really for you, financial freedom for you. And with the holidays approaching and all this frivolous spending that's, you know, saturating our culture every time during this particular season. I believe it's the best time to talk about this, and that's why I'm talking about it now. Can I have an amen? And so I think God's principles in the Bible are not there for him. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's loaded. He doesn't need anything from us. He's trying to get something through us, into us. You know, so it's, it's for us that these principles are there, and there's tons of, of scripture related to financial provision and stewardship and management and freedom and, and all these things are so that we can get what I call a I can breathe philosophy. I can just, I don't feel the weight of all this on my shoulders. It's somehow miraculously or maybe even principled way, both together, been transferred to God's shoulders. And that's really what this is about. So this is 100% for you. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is for you. <laughs> Turn to your second choice and say, it's for you too. Okay. Let me, let me kind of give you something philosophical that I just want to say. This is, this is my get, stay healthy in this regard philosophy, okay? I, I don't believe people, for the most part, are greedy or stingy. I know there are some. But I think for the most part, people aren't 
intentionally or desire to be greedy or stingy. I think, I think people are strapped and afraid. That's what I think. I think that if they were free, they would freely give. If they were free, they would, it, it would be reflected in their lifestyle. It would be reflected in their behaviors. And so I, I think sometimes when we feel strapped, I'm going to show you a video in just a second. But when you feel strapped, when you feel kind of constricted in your finances, there's, you, you, you don't even know what to do sometimes. Some of you might feel like this person in this video. You, you just want to run. You want to escape. You don't even want to talk about it. In fact, as soon as a, a church or a pastor or a message starts, you, you literally feel like a resistance. Can I just tell you, that's, it's even a spiritual resistance. It's something, it's something that's trying to keep you from that which could help you the most. Uh, so how many of you ever watched the show The Office? The Office. Anybody? Okay, well, some of you know the character Michael. He had some serious financial problems, and he was trying to just deny them, blow them off, or run from them. Check out this video and tell me if you connect with this in any way, shape, or form. You can dim the lights. Okay, the green bar is what you spend every month on stuff you need, mm. like a car and a house. That's so cool. I have my name at the top. The red bar is what you spend on non-essentials, like magazines, entertainment, right. things like that. This scary black bar is what you spend on things that no one ever, ever needs, like multiple magic sets, professional bass fishing equipment. How do you do this so fast? Is this PowerPoint? Michael, I'm going to set you and Jan up with a deck consolidator. Oh, no, you meet with this guy. No, you, we are going to leave Jan out of this. She has to know. We will find another way. We'll ask PowerPoint. Michael, this is a presentation tool. You're a presentation tool. <laughs> if you think I'm going to tell Jan about this. I'm done. No, you're not. OK, just you're not a tool. Look, we'll tell her that it's bad. But it could have been a lot worse. But due to some fancy financial footwork, I was able to cut it in half. Jan is smart. She poses. So due to Michael's clever financial maneuvering, he finds himself tremendously in debt. You're broke? Hot and that's, how did you get that from what Oscar's saying? How, that's how, not. I mean, Michael, how did this happen? Where exactly did your money go? I, I, I don't, I don't get this. I really don't. I don't, I don't understand how you could be so irresponsible. I mean, uh, it is astounding to me, really. I don't know what more to say. Jen? Yeah, what? Michael left. Okay, where did he go? I don't know. Well, is he coming right back? <laughs> I don't think so. I'll be right there. <laughs> so, so anybody relate? Anybody? Uh, so I'm going to ask you, don't run. Don't run physically, don't run mentally from this message because it can help you in a big way. In fact, you can write the scripture down in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. It says, people who want to get rich, that means referring to, to your preoccupation, your, your, your perspective about money and, and, and things like that. It, it, it kind of is talking about this wrong perspective. They fall into temptation. That means they think bad. And they ultimately do bad things, make bad mistakes. And then it says, in a trap. It's like a black hole that they fall into. And into many harmful and foolish desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Now, I'm reading the scripture the other day. I'm thinking, as a pastor, I can't have that. Like, my job description is to help people not have that happen. So, 
So, yeah, I understand there's been abuse in the church. I understand that the first message, one of the first messages people hear when they come to church is about money. But let's not just throw the baby out with the bathwater and not talk about it at all because it's a major problem. And it's throwing people into some major catastrophes in their life. We have to talk about this. Can I have an amen? amen. And so it says it throws people into many harmful and foolish desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Then it says, so here's the deal. What's the, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not saying money is evil. Money actually can be good. Ecclesiastes 10 tells us, or 5, I think it is, says that money solves problems. You need money. It's the love of money that is the root of every evil. And so it's the perspective you have on it. And then it says some people, eager for money, focused on that, fixed on that, preoccupied with that, have wandered from the faith. This is what motivates me to talk about this subject because if that is your preoccupation, if that is your motivation, it can even take you away from God himself. And it says, and pierce them with themselves with many griefs. Many griefs. Some of you have been pierced with many problems, either by your own hand, the hand of others, or a combination of both. And so we got to start this conversation, continue this conversation this week. So when, when we talk about money, people automatically think, well, you know, it's, it's a crunch the numbers problem. It's, it's, uh, it's just, there's just some financial principles that I need to know, and then I work those things out, and, and it'll settle it. And, and I believe in certain financial laws. Uh, I, I didn't, uh, you know, do a lot of school on this, but I had accounting in school, basic accounting one and two, financial cost accounting. I hated it. Took two of those classes at another university so I could get by easier. But, uh, but I have enough understanding about financial laws and principles, and, and they're real, and they work. And they're important to you. And if somebody was struggling with finances, I've helped people. Even just recently, one of, you know, some of my kids, I was just saying, hey, bring me your receipts. I want to know the last 30 days how you spent your money. I want to know your fixed expenses. And we're going to start looking at your budget and tightening that thing up. It's important that we do that. And I believe in those kind of things. But I will say this. Uh, I think there are higher principles that in conjunction with or cooperative with these financial laws can bring about a greater sense of freedom in our life. In other words, I think there's something beyond the numbers because I think God is above and beyond the numbers. He existed before the numbers. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's eternal. Can I have an amen? amen? But first, before we can appreciate these higher principles, these higher laws, let's do the five basic financial laws. Let's have a quick seminar here this morning. Financial planners will tell you, and there are many great financial, we had a financial planner in the last service and he felt like I was giving him a bad rap. Not all financial planners are good. Some of, some of them aren't. Some of them are really good though. But here's five basic laws that financial planners will give you. One is the law of income. Just write that down. The law of income, or you could say earnings, all right? You have to, uh, in order to be able to uh, kind of, you can't manage what you haven't what you haven't earned, what you don't, if you don't have enough. There's nothing to manage if you don't have something to manage. So we need to get serious about earnings. Now, that can be taken to an extreme, though. It becomes an extreme preoccupation where I've got to make more money, make more money, and it causes you to make certain decisions that could be potentially compromising. But until we get to that point, there's some on the other side of the equation where we just, we just keep waiting for something to happen when we need to get out there and earn some money. Like, we need to get a job. Like, like, I think we need to get past the point where we're 20, we see 25-year-olds still playing video games in the basement of their mother's house. Like, get out and get a job. Like, it blows my mind sometimes counseling people and advising people, and they're, and they're struggling with their purpose, and they're struggling with fulfillment, and they're struggling with depression, they're struggling with relationship problems. And when I dig back, they just got a lot of time on their hands. 
right? So you got to get a job. That's something that my parents instilled in me is you had to work. And it was like that generation worked hard and they, tran they transferred that in value to other people. So I had, and this is just my story, but I was working at nine years old. Not only did I do chores, but I had like jobs. Like I was, I was shining shoes in the neighborhood with a little wheelbarrow, pulling people's shoes around the neighborhood. You want like your shoes shine? I'll just put those in there and I'll bring them back later. And I'd do as good a job as I could at nine years old. And then my dad would come behind him and polish those babies up. You know what I'm saying? Then I'd go back and get a quarter for the, for the shoes. And, and that progressed into other jobs. I had, you know, I would just uh, take babysit. I would take care of people's animals. I don't know why they did that with me. But anyway, uh, um, they barely survived. Um, you know, mowing lawns and shoveling driveways and cleaning. I did everything. Work, 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 work. Between 9 and 19, by 19 years old, I had my own business. So there's 10 years of just work. I learned how to work, and I think our generation sometimes struggles with this, and it's a value that we need to be reinstilled in our lives again. Can I have an amen? amen. If you want to see something happen, you got, you got to get out there and work. Here's the next thing. Uh, so that's the money coming in. Now we're going to talk about the money going out. This is about spending, the law of spending, spending. Now, this law, this law takes a hard look at budgeting, budgeting or spending plans. 90%, actually over 90% of America is not on a budget of American homes, families, individuals are not on a budget. And we're concerned about, you know, how government's spending money and the economy and all that kind of stuff. But really, we, we perpetuated a lot of the problems ourselves. We can't really point a finger when there's four pointed back at us. In this law, we really should want to spend less in order to create margin or surplus. And, and, and when you live by the numbers, if you, if, you, if, you, if you take your income minus your expenses, this should create a certain amount of money or margin for you, but we have to address earnings and not just address spending. But often people think, and this is very statistically true for men, that if we have a money problem, I need to make more money as their first default. Actually, actually, in the process of trying to make more money, you can be violating other things that bring balance and longevity to your life and actually keep you from fulfilling what God wants you to do in your life because we all need to have margins. And relationships happen in the margins. The best things in life happen. You get a, I hope you're listening to what I'm saying. This is very valuable. But the best things in life happen in the margins. So God wants you to work, but he doesn't want you to work 24, 7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He wants you to have rest periods. He wants you to have breaks. And certain things happen in those breaks. So what, what the devil does is try to get us to run ragged. We work, oh, it's not enough money, so now I'm going to have to go get another job. Take more away from my wife, more away from my family, more away from ministry, more away from what God wants to do long term. The dreams and aspirations that he's put in my heart, they all get put on the sideline because we got to work, 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 work all day long. There's a song everywhere in, this, in every service. It's a disease, okay? Is everybody with me? And so in the process, we lose the things that are most important to us, and it takes away from what God wants to do. us. So the, the, your second job is to steward the money you already have. Your first job is a full-time job, but it cannot take over and consume every hour of your life. Your second job is to steward what you already have. And so we have things to help people with that. But a lot of times, we don't avail ourselves of that because we don't have time because we've got to work. That doesn't make sense. Something doesn't make sense. Proverbs 21.20 says... In the house of a wise person are stores of choice food and oil, but the fool spends all he has. You can't spend everything that's coming in. Number three, the law of saving. Everybody say this is good so far, Pastor. We'll see how it goes. The law of saving says, says this, that you've got to save money, okay? And the average American today spends 136% of their income, their annual income. 
Did you get that? 136% is the average today. How many know that's a problem? That ain't good English, but that's good preaching. That's a problem, okay? So savings is when you put money away, in case we forgot that. And, and financial resources used to be for financial, financial savings used to be for financial security for long term. Now it's for short term. So now the mentality is I need to put a certain amount of money away for the rainy days, for the sick kids, for the broken down car, for the, for the, for the washing machine that just busted. It's very short term savings thinking today at best. So most financial planners will tell you, you need to start with a $1,000 emergency fund, cash available for those rainy days. Then after that, you take your surplus or whatever margin you have, and you begin to attack or reduce consumer debt, which by the way, is right now an annual average consumer debt is over $15,000. That means just credit cards. That's the average in America today. Mortgage debt is $146,000. That's the average in America today. Student debt is over $32,000 today. And just as a sidebar, if your income is greater than $32,000 per year, you're in the top 1% of the world. Just give you some perspective. That's kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? So, so anyway, you want to get $1,000 emergency fund. You want to reduce consumer debt. Then the financial pl planner will tell you you need to get th three months of operating expenses. So three months to cover expenses, liquid and available. Once you've done that, you go on to greater saving plans, kind of another, another journey that you take off on. So that's savings. Here's the th fourth law. This one, if people get to this one, this is when people get fired up. If you, you get excited about it, this is kind of when things get fun. This is the law of investing, investing. Here's where you don't work for money. Your money works for you. This is what financial advisors will call kind of the magic principle of compounding interest. And this is where, where it's not so much about amounts, it's about, it's about time. Time over amounts. Time over amounts. The sooner you can start doing this, the better because time will begin to work for you. In fact, if you're a 21-year-old and you save $3.30 a day, $3.30 a day at 21 years old, by the time you're 65 years old, at 7%, you'll have $355,000 saved. But listen to this, contrast. The average car payment in America today is $484. $484 is the average, okay? So if you didn't buy that new car and you kept a little clunker or bought something cash, two, three, four, five thousand $5,000 cars, which we've done for our family and, and until recently, I've been, my wife and I have been doing for years and our whole, our whole life. Instead of taking all that money and putting in a new car, investing that money, if you took that $484 and you invested it at 25 years old in a reasonable, at a reasonable rate, approximately at the age of 65, you would have $5 million. $5 million. This is the magic of compounding interest is what they say. So I hope you really like your car. So anyway, so here's the... Uh, anyway, this last law is the most controversial for... Uh, financial planners. Some believe in this, some don't, uh, but a lot of non-Christians believe this is a valuable law. It's the law of giving, the law of giving. Some see this as counterproductive. In fact, a lot of American financial planners see this as counterproductive, but again, not all. The national average for giving for Americans to charitable causes is 2.5% and for Christians of their income. And for Christians, the average is, this is Christian believers, is average is 3.8%. That's not the biblical standard, just in case you're wondering. So that's way off the biblical standard. So, so giving is not, is not, it's kind of like the leftovers. It's after everything, maybe I'll do this. So 
So, so the laws say, the man's laws say, raise your income, uh, manage your spending, you need to save, you need to invest, and if there's anything left, you should give, it's a good idea. That's man's ways. Now, I'm not saying those don't work and those are, those are bad. I'm just saying, is it possible that God's ways are higher than man's ways? Those, that, that's kind of the conversation that we need to get to today. God makes, the foolish, makes foolish the wisdom of this world according to Scripture. So 1 Corinthians 2, this is a scripture for you to write down. 1 Corinthians 2, 8 through 10. I'm going to be reading from the message paraphrase. It says this, 1 Corinthians 2, 8 through 10. We, of course, have plenty of wisdom to pass on to you once you get your feet on a firm spiritual ground. In other words, you got to get to a certain place in your walk before you can even receive what I'm about to unpack. But it's not popular wisdom. The fashionable wisdom of high-priced experts, all those advisors you can go to in the world, that will be out of date at some point. God's wisdom is something mysterious that goes deeper into the interior of his purposes. You don't find it lying around on the surface. It's not the latest message, but more like the oldest. What God determined as the way to bring out the best in us long before we ever arrived on the scene. Is that powerful? Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. So I want to give you like five higher laws in accordance with God's word. It's interesting to me, though, and I just want to say this as a point of emphasis and contrast, how many of us in this room have no problem trusting God with our eternity, but we cannot trust him with our finances. We cannot trust his principles or his ways. It's amazing. If you think about it in those terms, maybe it will check you just a little bit. So I believe you'll never experience complete freedom that God has for you in your life until you buy into his ways. I'm not talking about, somebody say, well, I have freedom because I have financial security. I'm going to get to that. Don't you worry. I'm talking about the pressure off. I'm talking about you can breathe. I'm talking about real freedom. That's what God wants for you. Amen? What if God was the CFO of your life? If he can put the stars in the sky, if he can put the moon up there, if he can create the earth, if he could orchestrate and manage all the details of that, I think he can handle our little checkbooks. Turn to your neighbor and say, I love how it hurts. Okay. So I want you to see beyond the numbers today, okay? So here's what's going on. Here's the first kind of law. This law relates to the first natural law. The first natural law was that of earnings. So here's the first spiritual law. The higher law of calling versus compensation. Calling versus compensation, okay? It's not about compensation. It's about calling in the economy of God. In other words, at the end of the day, no matter how much money you make, it will not fulfill you. No matter how much money you can, you can acquire, how many things you can have, you will not be fulfilled. Some of the most stressed out people, <clears throat> some of the most worried people, anxious people, unhealthy people have a lot. Because they have to protect, care for, manage, and steward all of that. So you can make, for example, you can make a lot of money and live in a city you never wanted to live in. Because we chase the almighty dollar. We chase compensation. I could have lived in Naples, Florida, my wife and I, 24 years ago, uh, to make a lot more money. Uh, and and, and, and it could have been, I could have been convinced I'd be happy. I mean, after all, Naples, Florida. But I can tell you with all integrity and with all confidence that I am so glad that I didn't move to Naples, Florida, that I stayed here to fulfill the will of God, the call of God on my life here. Amen? And so I'm just telling you that it's so important that we not live for the number. We live for the, the dollar. We live for the compensation. Uh, I left a career many years ago that had kind of a lucrative uh, trajectory to it. I was in finance. I worked for uh, ultimately a bank, Ford Motor Credit. And, 
And, and it was all about the numbers. Everything, every day was about the numbers. And, and I'm just telling you, you know, I look back and I just think, thank God I didn't, I didn't surrender to that trajectory, that fast track. And I remember looking at my friends for a few years that I came in with, and I saw their compensation grow, and I saw their, their lifestyle grow with that. And this is kind of, in my view of it, but it's kind of like a tortoise in the hare situation. It looked like they were taken off, and they were going to get way ahead of me. But again, I was fulfilled in what I was doing. I never regret it. I never looked back. But as, as time has gone on, applying the biblical principles and the higher laws, I'm not sure they're ahead of me financially either. So yes, I, not only am I more fulfilled, but I'm not sure financially they're necessarily better off because what happens is those things begin to consume you. They begin to take you out. They begin to, you begin to become overextended, and you, you don't know how to kind of manage that which you have. And I'm so grateful. And, and so I'm just saying, don't chase money. Chase the call of God on your life. Yeah. Don't chase the dollar. Chase the call of God on your life. The secret to life is not how much you can accumulate and how much you can spend and how much you can have for yourself. The secret to life is fulfilled in the call that he has for you. That's why we, we have what we call a growth track here. We take people and give them these steps to follow. And so when you get in, some of you are like, I've done that. Yep, but are you obeying it? Peace financially comes when you obey and follow what you've discovered about yourself. So I encourage you, let us help you figure out what the call and plan of God is for your life. And the truth is, peace will come with that. Paul said this in Philippians 3.14. He said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, there's something that God has called each one of us. There's a call on your life, not just my life. There's a call on every one of your life. Follow, chase the call, not the compensation. Here, write this down. We don't just need money to live on. We don't just need money to live on. We need something to live for. We need something to live for. Here's the second law. The second law is the law of contentment versus consumerism. Contentment versus consumerism. The spending law says lower, spend less, you know, put some margin in it. But, but the law of contentment says we're going to deal with this monster of more. You know, I want it all, I want it all. And I, I need to thrash up here with the electric guitar. Maybe that'll help you out. You know, you guys know Queen, nobody? Queen lovers? Okay, anyway, just, it's going to be two songs today. But, but there's that tendency for us to just want more and more and more. There's something within that is driving that. So you can't just address that with the natural man law. Like, you just got to get on a budget. The reason we don't get on the budget because there's a monster of more inside of us. We're not content. And so that, that, that song kind of takes over. So we need to value contentment. Luke 12, 15 says this. Luke 12, 15 says, Don't always be wishing for what you don't have, for real life and real living are not related to how rich we are. It's, it's interesting how people with less seem to be the happiest. Isn't that interesting? You know why? Because they're not worrying about upkeep. They're not worrying about maintenance and management and painting and storing and locking up and insuring because they're not worried about it because they don't have it. <laughs> You're saying, I know, that, that, I don't want to be like that either. I'm just trying to make a point of contrast that if it's okay to have things as long as they don't have you. And what happens is a lot of times the things 
that we have, they have us. They've, they've taken over our hearts. And, 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 and all you got to do sometimes is, is get out of yourself. Like recently we had a, a women's mission trip go to the Dominican Republic. We have a mission in the Dominican Republic. Any ladies in the house that went to the mission trip? Raise your hand if you went there. Anybody gone to the Dominican before in our church? Raise your hand. Okay, so you know what it's like when you go because you're, you're, all of a sudden you see the contentment on people with less. You'll see children with just a stick and a stone. They'll be like, hey, you want to play with me? You know, like as proud as could be. You know, like, sure, what the heck are we going to do? Throw it at each other? <laughs> Fetch? I mean, what are we going to do? But they're so happy, right? It's crazy. Yet we have to have PlayStation, Xbox, whatever. We, I don't know what all the game systems are. They're probably morphed into a whole other level now. But I'm just saying, look at the things we need to be content today. I remember being in the Dominican and, and watching this pack of kids, you know, we were feeding them meat, which doesn't happen a lot, and we were, we were giving them hamburger, and, and they were coming in like, like a swarm, and this one strong kid barreled through the crowd, and I kind of had the wrong perspective on him at first, and I watched him, and he got some meat, and then he backed away from the crowd, and he went over, and there were all these little, little kids playing. They didn't even get into the group because they knew they wouldn't get any, and he went over to them, and he broke it into pieces, and he gave it to them. And I just remember just thinking, like, wow, like, look at the way they look at things. It was just so different than the way sometimes we think. And, and they're content, you know, to eat rice and beans every day. And, 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 and some of you are Brazilian in here. You're like, what's wrong with that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with that. But anyway, just, that's just what people say. That's just what people say. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should serve that in the common. Anyway. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a, only at Connect. Only at Connect. Could that be a big hit? Could be a big hit. Philippians 4. You guys are going to get me sidetracked. Philippians 4, 11 through 12. Paul says this. He says, for I have learned the secret. Everybody say the secret. I've learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or I'm living in want. See, I was thinking, God, what is the secret then? What is Paul talking about? Let me, let me just tell you what I think the secret is. Write this down. You're blessed. Say, I am blessed. I am blessed. You live in the most affluent country in the world. You have some of the highest wages of any place in the world. You drove a car here, probably 95% of you. Some of you came one person in one car. You're considered the top 1% if you have a vehicle on the planet. If you can go out to eat today, you are in the top 1% on the planet. You are blessed. Now, let's get out of the finance. Let's just get into another category. I was driving home from a conference that I was speaking at this last week, and I was just thanking God for the privilege and honor of doing these different things. But after I got out of that, and very quickly, I started getting emotional thinking about the people that God has put in my life. And I thought to myself, I'm so blessed I said to God, I said, I'm rich in relationships. And that's why it's so important to be a part of a local church because as you get outside of yourself and become vulnerable, you can have some of the most life-giving, not life-taking, some of the greatest treasures in this life are going to be relationships. Relationships are the only thing that are eternal, that last forever. Relationships are the only thing. And so you might have certain things, but you can't take them with you. But relationships, you can because we're all going to be some, somewhere forever, someday. So when I started thinking about it, I was just thinking, I'm so blessed. Write this down. Contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want. Contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want, but the realization of what you already have. 
It's the realization what you already have. You need to live beyond the numbers. You are blessed. And as your pastor, I am warning you, in the next few months, all of society and culture is going to try to inundate you with opportunities, invitations to spend and, and be frivolous and foolish in the different things you can do. And it will not bring happiness or fulfillment for you. It will bring a noose around your neck. It will bring slavery. It can bring bondage to you. And only January, February, you can find yourself depressed. Statistic is very common. Here's the third law. The third law, the higher law of God dependence over independence. God dependence over independence. So we've talked about these five natural laws. And so this is kind of, this is related to the savings law. The savings law. So this is the counterpunch to the, to the financial planner saying you need to save. Yep. But you do need to save. Saving is good. But there's one danger in saving. There's a danger. In most cases it's good, but there is a danger in saving. I hope you're paying attention. In other words, the danger in saving is it can become your source of security. In other words, you can look at your savings. See, I like to see, I like to use surplus over savings. Because savings says, says that I'm going to do this, and I'm going to take care of this, and I'm going to think about that, and I'm going to prepare for that. So that if anything happens, I, I have taken care of myself. I am ready by myself. I am secure by myself. Listen, that is not biblical. I'm just telling you, your pastor, not biblical. You are not your source. Your savings is not your source. God and God alone must be your source. In fact, what can happen is that savings can become, for some of us who have it, and it's very rare because we're spending 136% of our total annual income, but for those of us who have it, your savings can become your security. It should be a surplus. In fact, it's God's. It's God's. And it needs to have his vision on it, not your vision on it, in order for it to continue to be blessed. So I'm not saying don't save. I'm saying don't become independent. Be God-dependent. Tonight we're going to talk about four ways God provides. If you need provision in your life, you want to listen to what I'm going to talk about tonight. Find security in God alone. Proverbs 18.11 says this. Proverbs 18.11 says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. This is, what, this is what rich people think. They think, I'm going to create this fortress of solitude, of saving security around me, and I think in my mind it'll protect me from anything and everything that could come. Nothing will be able to climb that wall or cross through that. That is what, what the Proverbs are saying is that is dangerous because God is your source. Yet the poor have a perspective that they don't even know how tomorrow is going to come, but they tend to be more dependent on God in the process. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting, the, the contrast? And I'm not saying we live to be poor, but we should be poor, not financially, but poor in spirit. Poor in spirit is where the, our Catholic friends get this wrong. They think that we have to take a vow of poverty. It's not a vow of poverty. It's a vow of being poor in spirit. That means I see myself as God-dependent. Did you get this? It's not be poor. It's be poor in spirit. It's an attitude. In fact, Agur, the proverb, wrote in Proverbs 30. It says, in verse, Proverbs 30, 8 and 9, he said, he was a wise and wealthy man, he said, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread, because I may have too much and disown you and say, who is God anyway? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of the Lord. See, there needs to be this tethering between the two, where we never have, if we go too much this way, preoccupied with this, we'll be like, I don't need God, I got it. I, I, I imagine a wall around me. Or we can go this way and just be foolish and frivolous, and we don't prepare and we don't plan, and we become poor, and then we do things wrong to be able to make our ends, to make ends meet, and we compromise, and we cheat, and we steal. Is everybody getting that? This is what the Bible, isn't the Bible amazing? 
It's amazing. Write this down. I will not trust in riches. This should be your confession with this value. I will not trust in riches, but I will trust in him who richly provides. Look to God as your source. That is beyond the numbers. God is your source. Savings is not your source. Here's my favorite principle in all the Bible related to finances, the fourth one. That's stewardship over ownership. Stewardship versus ownership. This, this we talked about a little bit last week, so I'm not going to do a lot on this. But basically, the idea is, and if you want to write this down, you can, is that God owns everything, and I'm a manager. Everything is God's. Not, you say, well, I, I know the, the, the tithe. I've heard you talk about that. Or maybe you do that. Maybe you believe that. Oh, maybe actually you practice that. Whatever position you have on that, I'm not talking about just the tithe. I'm talking about everything is God's. So there's a portion that I give out, and there's a portion that remains under my management and stewardship. That's God's too. So I need to look at the breath out of my mouth, the clothes on my back, the car I drove over in here. My car is no different than the church van. They are both God's. My house is no different than God's house. They're both God's. Everything belongs to God. When you have that perspective, it changes the way you view the world. In other words, as a steward, my job, as a manager, my job is to, is to uh, grow and protect that which God has given me to steward. And when I do that, he'll bless me and he'll take care of me in the process. Are you with me? So everything I have is a temporary resource to be stewarded for eternal purposes. That's why the Bible says don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt. Store up treasures in heaven, in heaven, where moth and rust do not corrupt. That's what God, because where your treasure is there will your heart be also. So an inside trader tip is to live for treasures in heaven. I want you to have, I want you to get to heaven one day, and you may not give me credit for it as your pastor, but man, I hope God gives me a high five at least for telling you one of the best principles is live as a steward of what you have in this life because you can't take what you have with you, but you can be sending it on ahead by how you manage what you have here. And great are your rewards in heaven for doing it and living that way. And I believe in God's going to give me a reward for telling you that and hopefully living that as well. Amen? Here's my last point. You ready for the last point? The higher law of generosity versus misery. Generosity, I contrast these two because I think they are in direct contrast. Generous people versus miserly people. Financial planners often say, if you have anything left, give over. Give your leftovers. It's different with God. God's not asking for your leftovers. He's asking for your first fruits. See, some of you give faithfully, in a, your, and, and it's awesome how many people do that. But God wants you to give faith-filled. Not just faithfully, but give in faith. The best way to give in faith is you give them the first of what you have. Not the leftovers, what's left over. If you live for the leftovers, imagine how that feels, by the way, to God. You know, it's like, it's like walking out after a restaurant, you had a great meal, and you didn't leave a tip. Or you left a miserly tip. See, I, th I think we should give God our best. Our best. And your best requires faith. To do so. But when you do that, when you're generous in all the things that you do, you know, it won't hurt your cause. Financial planners will tell you if you give, if you give charitably, it's gonna hurt your cause. No, if you give, it will it will help your cause. It will help your cause. And I think many of you get this, and I'm very proud to serve and, and be a pastor of a church that's so, so generous. In fact, we're gonna do some things in the fall. I want to tell you a couple of things that's coming up. But the Bible says, Jesus said this, he said that it's more blessed or happy or fun to give than to receive. 
like, I was raised in a home of generosity. My parents were very generous. My father was very generous. I got to see that, mo- see that model. It's kind of a part, it's kind of a habit for me. You know, I don't carry a lot of cash, but if I have cash, I- I'm-, I'm happy to just give it away. You know, I-, I bought somebody's meal at Chipotle just this last week. And, 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 and they, were, they were actually fun, uh, fumbling t- to make change. They didn't have the right change. And I could see they were struggling. I said, don't worry about it. Here, I'll take care of that for you. So I threw a, I threw a $20 bill down on the thing. He's like, no, 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 that's okay. I said, listen, let me, let me, let me do it for you. Let, I'm blessed. Let me just do that for you. He says, no, no, no. I said, listen, we can arm wrestle for it. But if we do, I'll win. He's like, no, no, seriously. I go, no, no, seriously, I'll win. And we, just kinda, we were kind of joking. He says, no, no, really, man. I go, no, really, let me bless you. I go, God has blessed me in such a powerful way. I just want to be a blessing. He's like, wow. He's just looking at me like, what? I went out of there. I felt like awesome. It felt so great. It truly is happy to give. That was a great feeling. It's, it's like I remember going by the lemonade stands, you know, many, many times. But when you pull over and, and the 25-cent cup, you Dixie cup <laughs> that you give a buck for, and they can't even make change. And then you give them that, and you drive away. I've looked in the rearview mirror, and they're doing cartwheels down the lawn, you know what I mean? Because I gave them a buck, you know? So I'm just telling be a person who's quick to be generous. Generous people are always happy. People who are not generous, I'm telling you, just watch them. I think I would be more selfish, more self-absorbed if it wasn't for the principles of generosity at work in my life. It keeps me free. I feel free. I feel like I can breathe in the process. So I love this season that's coming up because I don't think it's about get. I think it's about give. And we don't like, we don't pass play. We don't do offerings. But once in a while, we take an offering. We're going to take an offering on November 19th for our turkey outreach. So we give away turkeys to the community. Last year, we gave away 600 turkeys. I'm not talking about chicken legs. I'm talking about honking turkeys. Okay, and so we want to give away turkeys to our community. We want to serve our community. So if you want to get involved and serve your community, sign up for it at Guest Central. I just want to let you know on November 19th, we're going to take an offering. I'm going to ask you to 13th. 13th. Okay, the 13th. Sorry, it's coming up. It'll be clear. We'll, we'll text you, notify you different ways. But I just want to let you know that's coming up. And then very soon after that, we're going to have an opportunity for you to get involved in global missions. It's very easy to get involved. It's, this is low sacrifice. But I want to give you something that keeps your heart healthy. I think it's healthy as a church to participate in something outside of your little world. It keeps you, Can I have an amen from somebody out there? I think it keeps you healthy. So I'm not going to ask you to do something that you can't handle. These are things that every one of you can handle. But I'm just letting you know it's coming so you don't feel like reactive. I don't like reactive giving. I like to be prepared for things. And you know we don't do this all the time. So I'm just letting you know a couple of things are coming up. One will be a one-time offering. And another one will be kind of a, a, a regular commitment that you can be a part of. And you're going to be so excited what we're going to share. We just don't have time to talk about it today. Can you stand to your feet and let me pray for you? Praise the Lord. If you could just close your eyes, just, just, just so that we could freeze frame this whole thing for a second, kind of arrest, you know, our thoughts, our emotions, our plans. You're going to be out of here in just a second, I promise, okay? But just, just let, let, let's let God just kind of put an exclamation point on this, on this service today. Some of us, again, we have a hard time trusting God. We're just doing it our way, and we're not doing it God's way. If you know God is speaking to you about that and you're, you're, gonna, you're, you're willing to be courageous and begin to do things God's way, at least pray about it. I'm not going to, nobody's going to take a picture of you and say, ha ha, you said you're going to do this. No, this is about you and God, me, you and God just talking about this. If you're, if you're going you're gonna to pray about trusting God in how you view, how you practice, how you implement financial principles in your life, you know God's speaking to you about that. Would you raise your hand if that's you? 
You know God's doing that. There's some things that out. God bless you all over the room. Go, don't miss out on that. God bless you. You can put your hand down. That's awesome. I know this is highly relevant. I know people struggle with this, and I'm going to pray for you. Maybe you're here today, and, and you know, you've transferred trust in your finance, excuse me, in your, in your eternal security, God, but you haven't done your finances. But maybe there's people here today who've never transferred trust to just the eternity part of it, the relationship part of it. And I'm going to just tell you, that's your first step. Before you can really trust them, you know, with the day-to-day things here, let's make sure we get things right between you and God eternally. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I'm just telling you, there's something about talking about money that pricks our heart. God is actually, that's really what he's after, is your heart. And if you've never given your heart to Jesus and you want to do that today, I just want you to raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. Would you pray for me? I want to make sure I'm in relationship with God. I want to make sure he knows me and I know him. God bless you. God bless you. Is there anybody else? God bless you. That's awesome, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, yes. Good and high, so I don't miss it. I don't want to miss it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. That's awesome. You can put your hands down. That's fantastic. If you're listening online, you can respond to. There's no distance in prayer. Church, would you pray this prayer with me? And those that raise your hand, pray this from your heart. Say, Jesus, I transfer my trust from me to you. You did it all for me. I can't do it for myself. I can't save myself. You saved me. I realize I'm, I'm lost without you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for every person who prayed that prayer sincerely, that you witness to their heart that they're now son and daughter of God. They're an heir of salvation. Now is the time of salvation. Their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life because they made a decision of their free will, acknowledging God, and he in turn will acknowledge them on that day. And I thank you, Lord, for that decision. I pray for every person in this room who's struggling in finance to trust God. Yeah, I trust you with my eternity, but I'm, tr- I'm struggling with trusting you here. Lord, give them the courage, Lord God, to take those steps and trusting you and follow these higher laws in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. God bless you guys.